time to uh, have our scripture reading. If you could all open your Bibles with me to uh, Matthew chapter 22, uh, verses 23 to 33. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, please turn to your phones or look up on the screen. So that's Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 to 33. The same day, Sadducees came, came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, Teacher, Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to this brother. So too, the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not, the, he is not God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. I'm just going to hand it over to Pastor Dave. Thanks, brother. Uh, will you guys join me in prayer before we get into the preaching of God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. And as always, we thank you that you've actually given us um, a way to understand you, uh, though you are God. Thank you that in this book, we actually meet a person. His name is Jesus. And I ask that we'll be able to do that as we come humbly before your word today. Ask for help. Uh, for me, but for all of us here too. Um, help uh, that leads to your word um, just being planted in the soil of our hearts and bearing good fruit. Lead us by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, you know, it's the first day of 2023, and it's really exciting to enter a new year, right? Uh, but there's also a little bit of dissatisfaction, if you guys know what I mean. Um, and we all feel it as we get, uh, as we feel ourselves getting a little, just a little bit older, right? a little bit more wrinkly, a little bit more um, saggy, a <laughs> pains that we never used to have, you know, coming out of nowhere. <laughs> and, and so we make all these New Year's resolutions, right? Like, I'm going to go to the gym, start exercising. Uh, we might even buy new clothes, we'll maybe change our phones out plan a new holiday for 2023. And the Bible says that this desire for the new, it's in all of us. And it doesn't just come from seeing the world around us and ourselves break down a little bit every year. But it comes from this deep-seated need for renewal. And the passage that we read today, it's about the resurrection. Uh, so that, that word, if you don't know what it means, it means... Uh, physical, bodily death, 
being reversed back to life. And it is the answer to the deep need that we all have for renewal, to be made new. It's the ultimate answer. Uh, Most, if not all of you, know that one of the core claims of Christianity is that there was a man in history, right, Jesus, uh, whose body was actually raised from death 2,000 years ago. And this isn't just some event that we kind of reminisce about, but it's one of the most precious promises of Christianity, right? That Jesus' resurrection is kind of like a microcosm for us. That when we look at His resurrection, we see what God will do for us in the future. Actually, what God intends to do with His whole creation. And it's not just about, I don't don't know if you've ever thought about just souls kind of departing the body and going to heaven. That's actually not it. It's bodily death, all your creaks, all your wrinkles, and then eventually turning to dust and start being reversed. The resurrection is the answer to the deep desire that we all have to be made new. So we're going to look at what that actually means for us, what the resurrection is for us. Before, um, I dare say, we make a whole new list of uh, New Year's resolutions. But first... um, I want to do a quick recap of Matthew because this is a gospel that we've been in for the past two years. This is our third year uh, in the gospel of Matthew. And um, we just took a break for the last two months or so uh, doing an Advent series. So I've just uh, drawn up this little table. Um, Hopefully you can see it uh, pretty clearly. With a few little pictures, it's just going to help us remember uh, what we've been through and where we're coming to today. So this is what we've covered so far, right? So chapter 1 to 2, if you guys remember, it starts off with that genealogy, that long list of names that is really hard to pronounce. Uh, Brother Julian did a really great job. Um, And it describes how Jesus came and arrived uh, for us into the world. Um, And then it describes his birth. We get to chapters 3 to 4, and it's all about Jesus preparing for his ministry. A guy called John the Baptist, he prepares the way. Um, and then he ends up baptizing Jesus, and then Jesus goes into the wilderness, and he faces temptation. Chapters 5 to 7, it's a really famous text uh, called the Sermon on the Mount, and this is full of, you know, these statements. Blessed are those who, you know, dot, 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 you have heard that it was said you shall not, you know, murder or uh, commit adultery, but I say to you, you know, let's remember these things. Chapters 8 to 10, the mission discourse is where Jesus sends out the twelve the first time, and he warns them about how difficult it's going to be when you actually go out in my name. Chapters 11 to 13, it's called the parabolic discourse, and that just means it's full of parables. So these stories that Jesus tells uh, to describe what the kingdom of God is really like. Chapters 14 to 17, uh, Jesus' identity, it's starting to become clearer and clearer. Right? Peter has this moment of confession. You are the son of God, the Christ. And then we see Jesus transfigured on the mountaintop, shining. Chapters 18 to 20, it's called the church discourse. Uh, This was very recent for us, if you guys remember. It's all about um, what community looks like in the kingdom. How are we supposed to relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? So, you know, Jesus instructs us to forgive each other. Uh, He talks about marriage and divorce. And then finally, this is where we land, uh, 21 to 23. This is the final week of Jesus' life. It's all kind of culminating 
in what's about to become the, the crucifixion and the resurrection. Uh, and here he talks uh, about you know, what real religion is. It's not just going through the motions, but it's actually bearing fruit. It's about the heart. He flips some tables. He curses a fig tree. He tells a parable of the two sons. And today we get to this part about the resurrection. The resurrection. Whew, that was um, short and sweet, I hope. So today in this passage, Matthew 22, 23 to 33, we actually come to one of the only recorded discussions that Jesus has where he just explains the resurrection. Uh, he explains what it is because he's confronted by a group of Jewish priests called the Sadducees, and these guys don't believe in the resurrection. So there are three things that I want us to pay attention to uh, in Jesus' explanation today. The first is that the resurrection is unique to Jesus, and that just means there's, there's no one else. There's no other ideology. There's no other religion that offers resurrection. Number two, resurrection is the fulfillment of every human longing. So much of what is driving our lives, so much of what is driving your life on a daily basis finds its satisfaction and answer in the resurrection. So we'll look at that. And finally, resurrection is the only answer to death. Okay? So first of all, resurrection is unique to Jesus. So when we uh, think about the resurrection, someone dead coming back to life, like we tend to think, yeah, you know, that's what people just believed back then. They were a much more superstitious culture. They were ancient people. They believed things like that. Uh, but the truth is that that was just not the case. Uh, the prevailing kind of thought, the culture at the time, the Greeks, they actually had a worldview that the body was evil. The body was chaotic. The body had all these things that you couldn't control. And so the body was a prison for your soul. And once you die, it's finally released. You don't want your body to be resurrected, according to Greek thinking. It's also true for the Jews. Uh, the Old Testament scriptures didn't have a lot to say about the resurrection. Uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2 says this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So the Jews had this predominant belief that at the very, very end of history, the very end, there's going to be a resurrection of select people, the Jews. But none of them believed in the kind of resurrection uh, that Jesus was talking about then and there. First of all, that he, a man, in the middle of history would be raised from death. None of them believed in that. And that everyone who believes in him would follow in his footsteps, not just the Jews. And then finally in this passage, you have the Sadducees who were these ruling class of priests. And these guys just flat out explicitly said, there's no resurrection, there's no such thing. Right? And you can see that in verse 23. So if you have your Bible, uh, turn there with me. Verse 23. The same day Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection and they ask him a question. Um, maybe for some of you guys, this is a pretty similar worldview that you might have. Uh, you know, pretty scientific, kind of modern worldview. You don't believe that there is such thing as a resurrection. When you die, you die. There's nothing after that. Anything more is hocus-pocus. Uh, or maybe you come from a uh, background of another religion, you know, like Buddhism, which says that there's no resurrection, but there is a reincarnation into a different body. 
a different life, but no resurrection. The point is the resurrection was unique uh, in the ancient world to Jesus, and it's unique in the modern world to Jesus. It's uniquely offered in Jesus. It's actually why the concept of the hospital, you know, the, uh, I, I, I heard that um, unfortunately a lot of us had food poisoning over this past week and uh, some of us even had to rush to the ED. But the concept of the hospital, it was actually created by Christians. I don't know if you, if you actually knew that. Uh, Christians were the first people to open hospitals. Before that, healthcare it took place in the home. Uh, families primarily had the responsibility of caring for the sick. And if it was really, really bad, you call a doctor to come to your, f- your house in home service and attend if it was that bad. But the idea of establishing a permanent place for the public where strangers, people you don't know who are sick, could come and be healed, that was a Christian invention. And the very first hospitals were called Xenodokia, which means place for strangers. See, Christians were so impacted by the promise of the resurrection they knew that Jesus' body had come back to life because he had appeared to them in person. And so they knew God is actually about healing bodies. He cares about the human body. He's about renewing this world. So, hey, let's join in. Let's have a part in healing these diseases and bodies so strangers can glimpse a piece of the wholeness that's on offer here in the resurrection. The resurrection is uniquely offered in Jesus No one else offers the healing of the dead body into indestructible life. No one else offers a reversal of death. So that's the first thing. Resurrection, it's unique to Jesus. Secondly, resurrection is the fulfillment of every human longing. You see this in a really interesting way in this passage. Man, this question, it's like, it's a bit hard to understand if you just kind of glimpse at it. So let's try to go through this. Verse 24, turn there with me. This is the question that they ask. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third, down to the seventh. After them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Do you guys understand this question? <laughs> you see some vague nods and some. <laughs> um, okay, so let's understand this together. The Sadducees are talking about here this ancient Israelite law called the Leveret Law. And this law said that if a man died and he had a wife and they had no kids, then his brother would marry her and keep her in the family. It was a way of extending mercy to widows at the time. Because wid- widows had no social status, there were nobodies. To suffer the death of their husband was devastating. So it was for their protection that this law uh, came into place. So the Sadducees, they pose this question to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, there are seven brothers. The first one marries, and then he dies. And he's got no kids, so lever at law, it comes into place. His brother marries his wife. But then the brother dies, and the third brother marries the wife. But then that guy dies, and the fourth brother marries the wife until it happens seven times, and they're all dead. So if there really is a bodily resurrection, when you get to heaven, who's she married to? It's like a, you know, 
bit of a trap. How do you answer that? It's a hypothetical situation designed to make the idea of the resurrection look pretty dumb. And Jesus answers this in verse 30. He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. It's a really important detail here. He doesn't say that we'll become angels. He says we'll be like angels. And what he means by that is angels don't get married. Angels don't have sex. Angels don't have children. And neither will we in the resurrection. And at this point, I need to address something here because some of you guys are thinking, okay, so in heaven, we'll all just be friends then. Yay. <laughs> that sounds, you know, not that great. It sounds a bit boring. It sounds a bit satisfying. Uh, and I would agree. I would agree. But it makes you think, what's being revealed in that thought in us? I think for many of us, I know for me, what is being revealed is the way that I think about my deepest longings and the way that I tend to think about my deepest longings being fulfilled in this life is that I need to have someone who will accept me. I, I want to be known. I want to be deeply and intimately known. I want intimacy. I want connection. I want someone I can walk through life with. That's how my deepest longing will be fulfilled. Um, you know, Heidi and I watched MasterChef uh, this past year, last year, <laughs> 2023. It's a cooking show um, where the contestants, they create these amazing dishes and complete challenges. And when we watch it, without fail, at the very end of each episode, we just kind of turn around to each other and say, man, I wish I could eat that. It looks so good. I wish I could eat that. Now, imagine with me for a second. Um, we were to come home, and, and what do you know? Uh, Billy McKay, the winner of MasterChef, is in our kitchen, and she's whipped up for us an amazing dish. Um, and we both walk in and we say, thanks, Billy, but I'll just watch the show. It's an instance where you have the real thing, but you just want to go back to the show. See, marriage, family, deep friendships, you know, the best relationships that we experience in life, they're, they're amazing, they're great, they're satisfying. But they're not the meaning of life itself. Your spouse is not the meaning of your life. Your family is not the meaning of your life. Deep friendships are not the meaning of your life. They're, they're pointers to the meaning of life. The best relationships that we can experience are meant to stir in us a longing for something greater. They're not meant to satisfy that longing. Perhaps you've kind of noticed that in small instances where you have been disappointed and someone has not met the expectations that you had for them to fill that longing. And when we place uh, relationships, romance, and sexuality as the ultimate thing in our lives. It's like saying, look, I, I, I want the show, you know, the thing that stirs up the longing, but I don't want the thing itself, the food. See, the resurrection is not actually just about us going to heaven and being friends. And yay, like that's it. It's actually about such a powerful and incredible love with one another and with God of being so fully accepted, so known for endless ages that it'll make marriage seem like a drop in the bucket. It'll make your most significant relationship on this earth insignificant in comparison. 
the resurrection is God putting his love on us, not indirectly, like I can stand up here and I can tell you, or we sang about, you know, God loves you, how he loves us. The resurrection is you hearing from God directly yourself. I love you. Personally. And this isn't just true about the pleasures of intimacy and relationship, but it's true about every pleasure. It's true about recreation. It's true about friends. It's true about wealth and treasure. All these things are meant to stir in us a longing for him. So the resurrection is the satisfaction of the deepest longings that we have. And finally, the resurrection is the only answer to death. So the resurrection, it's unique to Jesus. Resurrection fulfills all our deepest longings. Last thing that we see in our passage is that the resurrection, it's the only answer to death. And we don't think about death that much, to be honest. Um, You know, none of us, just frankly, are on the verge of death here. None of us are, you know, geriatric. Uh, We don't think about death that much. And there are a number of ways that we deal with death, I think. First of all, we can ignore it. I think many of us do that. We don't really think about it on a daily basis. We ignore it. Uh, And we have medical advancements. Have you ever thought, um, you know, someday I might get cancer or that other disease. But I'm sure that by that time, whatever I have, they'll have a cure for it. Uh, We can also go to different religions and ideologies like Buddhism. And I tell you, when you die... You're reincarnated as someone else. So, you know, don't worry about it. And we can also deal with death in our culture. And I think this is true for a lot of us. Um, I know it's been true of me at times. By thinking in terms of legacy. That if I leave enough of an impact on my family, on the community and the world around me, then I'll die. But at least my name will live on. At least my memory will live on. But to be honest, none of these are answers to death. They don't deal with death. They don't deal with the permanence of death, the finality and the hopelessness of death. They're just distractions from death. And Jesus responds to the Sadducees by pointing to the reversal of death as the only answer to death. It does it in two ways. So look at verse 29 with me in your Bibles. It says this, But Jesus answered them, You're wrong. Because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. There's two really important critiques of the Sadducees that Jesus gives to us here. Number one, you don't know the Scriptures. And number two, you don't know the power of God. So I just want to look at these real quick with you guys. Number one, you don't know the Scriptures. That's a really odd thing to say to a bunch of men who spent most of their lives studying the Scriptures. And what Jesus isn't saying is that you guys don't know the little words that you know, appear in Scripture. What he's saying is that there's actually a certain logic about Scripture that you just have not followed. Because when you read the Bible plainly for what it is, there's a logic there that you can't deny. It's a logic that a uh, well-known preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, called logic on fire, spirit-empowered truth. So verse 31 to 32, read with me, this is what it says, Jesus' words. And as for the the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not God of the dead, but of the living. And Jesus is saying that the logic of the scriptures 
it inevitably leads you to a resurrection. When God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's not saying, I was the God of Abraham, and then he died, and now I'm the God of Isaac, and then he died, and now I'm the God of Jacob. He's saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I have made an everlasting covenant with them. A covenant is a relationship. It's a two-sided relationship, which God has entered into them with them for eternity. And, in, and so, in other words, God is a God of the living and not of the dead. And there's a similar logic for us as modern people. I wonder if you've ever th- thought about this. You know, the Bible says you can look at the world around you. You can look at the beautiful skies and the sun. You can look at all the amazing creatures and, and say, you know, they're so amazing. And when you look at all those things, uh, the Bible actually says in Romans 1, it's obvious that God is powerful, that God exists, that God is wise. And you can look at the world around you, just walk out your front door, and you can know that there's a creator. You can know that there's a God who's powerful and wise. The world is shouting that at us. But there's also a moral fabric through humanity that says, treat people well. Don't kill each other. <laughs> All right? Don't covet. Don't steal. And that moral fabric, it tells us that, hey, God is good. There's a benevolent and good God behind this fabric. But that raises a problem because you have this all-powerful God who's powerful and wise and good, but the world is filled with death and suffering and misery. And you think, how can those two things, those two characteristics of, of, of God actually exist together? I want you to follow the logic here. The only answer is that there must be coming a reversal of all these things. A reversal of death. The logic leads us there. Luc Ferry, uh, he's an atheist French philosopher. He wrote a book on the history of philosophy. And in this book, he says that the purpose of philosophy is to deal with death. And he says... The only worldview that I've come across that has a robust answer to death is Christianity. It's a resurrection. It's a reversal. But Luke Ferry also says, but I don't believe it. I can't believe it. It's too much. It's too good to be true. Remember, he's, he's an atheist. And so Luke Ferry's problem is not that he hasn't done the logic. Luke Ferry's problem is Jesus' second critique to the Sadducees, he doesn't know the power of God. He does not know the power of God. There is a cynicism in our culture. There's a suspicion uh, where we don't trust hopeful things. I think a lot of us have that in our hearts. At times, we we really wrestle with how we don't want to hope. Just look at the world around you. it's, It's pretty depressing understandable maybe you've had some you know really tough and bad things happen to you in your life and you've been you know just disappointed by people so deep down you kind of come to a point where you accept you know ultimately things aren't actually going to be good so i'll just grind through all of it without any real hope and that cynicism i think it's one of the biggest things it's one of the biggest stumbling blocks in our lives that will keep us from knowing the power of god 
this power of God, it opens hearts to hope and to rejoice in the midst of suffering. To hope in the resurrection. And I'm not saying, hey, just believe in the power of God. I'm not saying just go have blind faith in it. But in the gospel, you can see the resurrection. It's a real example here for us, guys. You see the power of God has already been unleashed in this world, in a real place. This is not a myth. In Jerusalem, to a real person, Jesus of Nazareth, he was crucified in real history, and the power of God came upon him, and he was resurrected from death into indestructible life. And we're not hoping for something unknown in the future. We're hoping for something that's already happened in the past, in our world, and it's God's pledge to us that he'll do it again in the future. And it's that same power that raised Jesus from the dead that's at work in us, in communities like this, all around the world, changing us, maturing us, convicting us of our sins, leading us to be more like Christ, seeing people come to faith for the first time, where people are coming to know the love of God, and new life is actually growing inside of us. That's the power of the resurrection. It's a power that's in us now, and it's a power that's going to be unleashed in full in a coming age where God will set right all things in the world that he's made. So my invitation to you this morning, on the first day of 2023, is before you go and make your news resolutions, I want to first ask you, have you done the logic? Like, have you actually thought about the resurrection? Is this something that can really just go over our heads in light of the many things, the many responsibilities, the stresses that we have in life. I want to invite you, have you done the logic? You need to think about it. Follow the logic. So many of our frustrations, our doubts, and our anxieties can be addressed if we follow the logic of the Bible and of the resurrection. The resurrection is something that's only offered in Jesus. What does that mean for you? I know for me, it means I need to come to Jesus. I need to sit at his feet and spend time with him. The resurrection is the only thing that can fulfill our deepest longings. Maybe that means for you to stop chasing after those things that are idols, that have no power to actually satisfy you. The resurrection is the only answer to death itself. And the power of the resurrection lives in us. Maybe that just means coming to Jesus in repentance and faith. Just crying out to him, asking him to show you what is this power of the resurrection that forgives us of our sins and transforms us. And therefore we can have hope. And it leads you to a second question, just one more. What would it look like to lay your cynicism down before God? Because I can talk about the power of God all day long. If you're feeling cynical about the power of God, uh, it doesn't really matter what I say. You know, what kind of posture would that look like for you? Maybe not here today, but behind closed doors to lay down your cynicism before God. There is a good and powerful creator behind this world. He's renewing all things. And that renewal of all things, it can include you. Don't discount yourself. 
been wrestling with sin, with doubt, with discouragement, that renewal of all things, it can include you. To let down your guard, come before him in hunger and humility, I think it's the best way to start off the new year. Let him show you who he is in your word, and he will. Let's pray. Father, uh, help us to understand the power of the resurrection. I can't do it justice with my words. I ask that you fill us with your spirit. Illuminate to us personally and powerfully what it means that Jesus rose from death. What that promise is for us. Help us to make sense of our whole lives the highs and the lows, the successes and the failures, and the future in light of the resurrection, in light of his resurrection and in light of our resurrection that we have in him. We pray in Jesus' name.